0: Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Today I'm starting a brand new series called Simply Supernatural. And I'll tell you what it is. It's an uncomplicated look at the supernatural, which sometimes we find elusive. Sometimes we find it inaccessible. I look into the gospels. I look into the book of Acts and I see this group of people, followers of Jesus, who solve difficult and complicated problem, problems simply supernaturally. If there was a storm, you simply calm the storm. If someone was sick, you simply heal them. If someone is demon possessed, you simply deliver them. If someone is dead, you just simply raise them back to life again. How many of you have tried that? Any of you have tried that? Any you done that? Nobody's raised, no a couple of hands. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't referring to getting yourself out of bed this morning in case you're thinking that's raising the dead. I, I can do it, but you know, I do it in reverse. I pray for well people and they die. Uh, <laughs> but I'd love to get there, wouldn't you? I mean, we look at Jesus and he just made it so simple. I mean, there's nothing complicated about it. You remember when he came into the city of Capernaum, there was Jairus. He was the ruler of the synagogue. His daughter was sick, and then she died. And the people were inconsolable. They're wailing. They're weeping. Uh, if any of you have experienced in your family the death of a child, you, you know the feeling. I mean, it's heart-wrenching. It's, it's painful. It's at the very depth of your core. And Jesus walks into this scene of inconsolable people, and he says these words. He says, oh, She's not dead, she's just sleeping. It, it seems so cruel and so insensitive, except for the fact, what do you do next? What do you do next? I mean, really, I mean, imagine walking into this place and say, oh, she's not, she's not dead, she's dead, they knew she was dead. She's just sleeping. He pulled a Miracle Max on the, on the group. You know Miracle Max from The Princess Bride? Woo hoo hoo, look who knows so much, eh? It just so happens your daughter's only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. With mostly dead, they slightly alive. With all dead now, there's only one thing to do. Go through their clothes, look for loose change. That's my best Billy, Chris, best Billy Crystal imitation. Yeah, you should be cheering. You, you, go, you go to a church where a pastor does invitations. And so we, we look at, at, at Jesus and these extraordinary things he did. And we find out that they are simply supernatural. They're not, not that complicated. So today my message is entitled, Supercharge Me. Not to be confused with the McDonald's slogan, supersize me. <laughs> I mean, remember that slogan in McDonald's. And they, you'd go in, they'd say, you they like to, me to supersize you? And you'd go, yeah, supersize me. And then what they did was they'd give you bigger fries and a bigger drink and whatever. And there was a movie came out about it. Have you seen the documentary, supersize me? Have you seen this movie? So this guy decides that he's going to try the supersize test and he's going to eat nothing McDonald's, three meals a day uh, for 30 days. And, and he's going to supersize every meal. And so if they say, do you want that supersized? He's going to say yes. So he goes, starts eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, at McDonald's, and supersizing every meal. I never understand people ordering a McDonald's. You see them, they say, I oh, have two Big Macs, large fries, and make it a Diet Coke. Yeah, that Diet Coke is going to undo the fatal qualities of everything else you're ordering. Come on. And and so anyway, this is what he did. He did it for for 30 days. In 30 days, eating three times a day at McDonald's, he gained 30 pounds. Well, 26 to be exact. 26 pounds in 30 days. At 21 days, he went to the doctor because he felt like he was going to die. And the doctor said, you've got to quit. This this is going to kill you. So then he thought he better get a second opinion. So he asked his brother, Chad. If you don't like what the doctor says, go to your brother, Chad. He'll give you a second opinion. So Chad says people eat that crap every single day. Nine more days isn't gonna kill you. <laughs> so he so he decides to go nine more days eating McDonald's supersized. It didn't kill him, but like I said, he gained 26 pounds and it almost killed him. And so not to be confused with that, right? I mean, it, it's like the guy that goes to the doctor and the doctor says, "Look, the best thing for you is diet and exercise." The guy says. Doctor, I don't deserve the best. What's the second best thing? <laughs> right. Well, just want a pill. So today, as I said, my message is called Supercharge Me. And probably there's people in the room. How many car guys do we have? Do we have car guys? In, how many of you guys love cars, know cars, get cars? Well, all the car guys will know this, what supercharging is. Supercharging is where you basically put a big air compressor over your air induction, induction system on your car, and you force air into your engine. Because you see, the problem isn't getting enough fuel. Getting more fuel into a car's engine is simple. You just turn up the injectors, you just increase the size of the jets in a carburetor. Simple, simple, simple. The problem is they don't get enough air for the gasoline that's going in. And so they put these superchargers on, they force the air into the internal combustion motor and they can increase the horsepower by easily up to 50%. Like this dude in his GTO. That, by the way, in case you don't know, is a double supercharger. He's got one stacked on top of the other. It goes really fast, but he can't see oncoming traffic, so it is a little dangerous for him. And so, nowadays, what they're doing, particularly the Euro- European manufacturers, is they're taking these cars and putting smaller motors in them, and they're supercharging them. I don't know why. It's just the trend. It's what they're doing. They're doing it in all kinds of cars. They're doing it in, you can get a Cooper Mini supercharged. Do you really need a supercharged Mini? People are still going to laugh at you, whether it's supercharged or not. You can get snowmobiles. You can get, you know, outboard motors. You can get C Dus Supercharging everything these days. So my son goes out and buys a supercharged Audi, Audi S4. Here it is. Here's my son's car. It looks fantastic in red. And here's what supercharging does to this car. It turns it from a 261 horsepower car into a 349 horsepower car. Now, my son really needed that car because he works at home. Once a week, he goes to the grocery store, and he wants to get there really fast and burn 15 liters of fuel every time he does it. And you pay like 10 grand more for the supercharger. And here's the funny thing to me. Yes, it's par- more powerful car. Yes, it's, you know, supercharged. But on, from the outside, the only thing that distinguishes the S4 Audi from the A4 Audi is the little emblem on the grill. Right there, right there, that little S. So you, next time you're driving down the street, you see, look at the back and look at the front. If you see that little S4, you'll notice know it's one of those crummy A4s. This is an S4 supercharged. Now, for me, I would buy the A4, go on eBay, buy one of those emblems, stick it on my grill. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> but that's not what my son did. And here's my, here's my point in all this. The superchargers nowadays, they're under the hood. You can't really see them. They're not sticking out through the hood with a big scoop on them anymore. They've got ways to make them, and build them right in. And these cars are sleepers. You, you don't know they got this kind of power under the hood. You know what you need? Supercharging. As a human being, you need to be spiritually supercharged. Maybe you will look like your neighbor, but under the hood, you are supercharged. You know what J- Jesus said? He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. How many want to be supercharged? Yes. Let me hear you say, supercharge me, Lord. Now, now here's what's, what's really interesting. You're not fully convinced, but I'm going to get you there. Here's what's really interesting about the word spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon us and giving us power. Do you know what the word spirit is in the Greek language? It's the word pneuma, spelt with a P, where we get our word pneumatic. So pneumatic tools or pneumatic tires. What is a pneumatic tool or a pneumatic tire? What is that? air it's air pneuma is the the, it's the greek word for air we also have our english word pneumonia which is an infection of the airways or the lungs and so this word in scripture for spirit the holy spirit is the holy pneuma spelt with a p now here's what i don't want you to miss in this message When you look in scripture, the word pneuma is translated many different words in English. Here's what it's translated. Yes, it's translated spirit. It's also translated air. It's also translated breath. It's also translated wind. So when you see those words, they mean the same thing. And so the Holy Spirit, in in fact, is the holy breath or the holy wind is all it really is. So here's where we're going to go with this. Because Paul tells us something really extraordinary about the Holy Spirit. And he says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And gives life to your mortal body. He said that the Holy Spirit no longer dwells in temples. But dwells in you. And if you are in Christ, his spirit dwells in you. Say dwells in you dwells in you. So in all these verses, what, what do you think Paul's trying to tell us? What do you think he's getting at? That the Holy Spirit, what? <laughs> it's the same answer to the question I just asked. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's trying to tell us that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he's contrasting that. He's making a big deal about it. He's obviously very excited about it. He says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit no longer dwells in temples made with hands. Why was that such a big deal? Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in human beings. In fact, every time you read about it, it says, And the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And the Holy Spirit came upon Ezekiel, and he prophesied. And the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelt in a temple made with hands. Specifically in the Holy of Holies, specifically behind the veil of the temple, specifically in the Ark of the Covenant. And that's why the Ark was such a holy thing. And there was a reason why the Holy Spirit dwelt there and not in human beings. And the simple answer is this. If the Holy Spirit dwelt in people, it would kill them. Why would, why would it kill them? Well, because you were un- we would be unregenerated, unchristian people. That God had not dealt with the sin problem. And if we came in that kind of close proximity to the Holy Spirit. He would kill us. It would kill us. The holiness of God would kill us. And you all remember the story. There's a perfect example of this in scripture. And it was when David was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. They had captured it from the Philistines. And they were returning it to Jerusalem. And it was on the ox cart. And it was rumbling down the road. And it hit a pothole. And one of David's captains, Uzzah, he reached out. And he steadied the ark. He touched the ark and steadied it. What happened? Boom! It struck him dead. And David was greatly distressed and all of Israel with him. And the big question is, why did Uzzah touch the ark I'll tell you why, because he had never seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. If he had seen the movie, he would know better, right? You all remember the scene in the movie where they had the ark and the Nazis were there and they were going to open the ark. You remember what, what Indy said? He had the presence of mind. He, he turned to Miriam. They were tied up against the pole and said, don't look, don't look in the ark. So they looked away, they looked away. But the Nazis, no, the Nazis didn't look away, did they? The Nazis looked right in the ark. How many you remember this scene? Here's a picture of the scene. What happened to the Nazis? They melted. They melted. They looked in the Ark and they melted. Look at him. This is pre-melting. He's just starting to melt. I'm not showing the rest of the pictures. They were banned in some countries because they were so gross. They looked into the Ark and... "Ah, ah, ah." It's a great movie scene. You should watch it with your children. And so so Uzzah had never seen that movie. He didn't know he wasn't allowed to touch the Ark. He was just trying to steady the Ark. But now we know we have the benefit of having watched the movie. So we know you can't come and, and touch the, the Ark of the Covenant. And so, so here's, what, here's what happens. This is what we know about this. That in the, in the Old Testament, we didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He came upon us once in a while. But in the New Testament, he specifically and clearly says this. That if you're in Christ, his spirit dwells in you. We are the temple. This is an extraordinary truth. Now, one of the questions I always ask people, we do this foundations class. You heard about it today. And and, uh, I do the class on the baptisms of the Holy Spirit. And I ask this class this question. I said, you know, have you ever wondered when the disciples actually became Christians? At what moment in their life and career they passed from death to life? Because there had to have been a moment. There had to have been a threshold for them to cross. And what was that moment? Because whatever moment it was, I'll give you the answer right off the hop here. Whatever moment it was, it was the moment that the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in them. Right? That would, that would be the, the essence of that. And so when was that? Was that when Jesus called them and said, follow me and I'll make you fish as a man? Or was it when he sent them out two by two and he said, freely receive, freely give and go preach the gospel? Or was it where he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you, eat and drink? And was that the moment? Or was it when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished? When was the moment? And I have the benefit of knowing exactly the moment in which the disciples became Christians. And, and, and I'll tell you where it is. It's in, in John chapter 20. See, here's what had to happen. It has to be sometime after the, the, the crucifixion, right? can't be before. They can't be Christians before the crucifixion. And it also has to be after the resurrection because the Holy Spirit has to come and dwell in them. So... So this is what it means. Jesus died for their sin, but he rose again to give them the newness of life. So that newness of life could come only after that moment of the resurrection. So we go into John chapter 20, and we pick up this story where it's the day of the resurrection. The disciples are behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, and Jesus just appears in the room. He doesn't walk through the wall. He doesn't go through a door. He's just there. And the disciples are happy to see him. And they're checking out the holes in his fingers and in his feet. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, I believe. And he's excited. And then, and then Jesus says to them this. He says, my peace be with you. And then, he, and then he says this. And I'll throw it up on the screen. This is what he said to them. He said, then he said this. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the holy spirit did you catch that he breathed what is the word breathe what is it in the greek numa he breathed on them he numed on them and said receive the holy numa i'll tell you what's happening in that moment because this is an allusion going right back to the fall in the garden of eden and the creation of man so we find adam created you remember adam he was made out of what Dirt. He was made out of dirt. You know what, ladies? That should explain everything you need to know about your man. Uh, he, he, was, he was made out of dirt, so don't expect him to be too tidy. And so a man was made out of dirt. And after he formed man out of the dust of the ground, who remembers what he did? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living being. That was the thing that created life, not the forming out of the dirt. The breath of God into his nostrils caused him to come. And so he opens his eyes, and there he is alive. And the first instruction God gives to him is, Okay, you're going to have a good time here on planet Earth. One thing I don't want you to do, see the tree over there in the midst of the garden? Don't eat of the tree, because the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. So, so Adam goes, tree what tree? Where's the tree? Where's the tree? And, and, and the next thing you know, he's over at the stupid tree eating the tree. He ate the tree. Now, here's my question. The day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. Did he die physically that day? No, no. He lived 930 years after that point. So if he didn't die physically, how did he die? Spiritually. And so what had happened in that moment is that breath of God that he had received, the spirit of God that he had received in his nostrils. Some, you know, hours or days or months, or whatever it was earlier, all of a sudden was lost. And mankind, all of us, became zombies. We became the walking dead. And there we were outside of our personal relationship with the living God. That's why God had to go and dwell in temples made with hands because we were distance from God. And so Jesus goes to the cross. Thousands of years later, he dies on the cross, rises from the dead. The first thing he does, he comes and takes these men and breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit and restore to them that which was lost in the garden thousands of years earlier. So in that moment, this is what we know. In that moment, the Holy Spirit now dwelt in them. How many would agree with that? How many of you would agree with that? If you're in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you, right? Now, here's where it gets complicated. I haven't even gone into my text yet. This whole thing has been the introduction. How's it been going so far? So so let's get to what I really wanted to talk about. Because here's what we find. We, we, We pick this story up. It's Acts chapter 1. And we know what Acts chapter 1 is. It's exactly... 37 days after the resurrection. That is the exact moment. It's not hard to figure out. Jesus had been hanging around. You know Jerusalem in his resurrected form. He had not ascended into heaven. And this is what he says. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the father. Which he said. You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with With the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Jumping down to verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. So I'm a little confused. Did they or did they not, in John chapter 20, 37 days earlier, did they not receive the Holy Spirit? Were they not indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Yes. So whatever Jesus is talking about is a separate and subsequent experience that he said, look, you were in doubt with the Holy Spirit, but I haven't given you everything you're going to get. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to do something even more. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit's already living in you, but now the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, like he did in the Old Testament, you're going to receive power. And so he says, it's going to be just like what John the Baptist did. So he he invokes this illustration of John the Baptist. And he said, you remember what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist baptized you in water. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here's what we know from this story that that whatever John the Baptist did with the water is analogous to what he's going to do with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do a little illustration for you just so we're all clear about it. So I brought some water with me. I was really thirsty. I knew I would be. Now you're going to be thirsty. So here's my question for you. If I was going to be dwelt with the water, what would I have to do with this water? Yeah, I'd have to drink it, right? So I'm going to drink it. And My apologies because you're all going to want some. Ah, refreshing. And so would it be fair to say that I am now in dwelt with water, okay, so that, so that part we 're all clear on now, on the other hand, if I was going to baptize you with water, what would I do with the water yeah that 's right i 'd put it on you <laughs> when you 're in dwelt, the water goes in you when you 're baptized, the water goes on you weren 't you guys glad you came to the splash zone? You thought the splash zone was where I just spit on you because if you ain't, you know, spitting, you ain't preaching, right? (laughs) In first service, we had this lady. She went, "Ah! Ah!" (laughs) oh, she thought the glory of God had come over. her. I said, it's just my COVID infested water is all it was. Anyway, now you get the point here that that to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and to be baptized with the Holy Spirit are going to be two different things. So they were already already indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not done with you yet. I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem. And what you're going to experience there is you're going to experience the baptism. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. So let's pick it up. Tell you where it is. It's Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. It says, now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing, mighty wind. And the word wind in the Greek is pneuma. The same as the word Spirit. It says, There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire. And one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, here's the part I don't want you to miss. He says, now I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We know when it happened, Acts chapter one, they're in the upper room, 120 of them there. And what came was the wind, the pneuma, the holy pneuma, The Holy Spirit, in this sense, it sounded like and seemed like a wind, rushing mighty wind, and it didn't come to fill them, it came to fill the room. And because they were in the room, they were all immersed in the Spirit. And in that moment, they had this experience that is unparalleled with anything in Scripture, this moment where they were empowered with the Spirit. And you go read the story, and from that moment on, everything they did was simply supernatural. They took it to a whole new level. Why? Because they got supercharged, is what happened. Now, one of the evidences of this, this isn't the essence of it, but the evidence of it, how do we know they were baptized in the Holy Spirit except for the fact that there was a wind in the room? Well, one of the evidences was they were all speaking languages that they did not know and did not learn and did not understand. And we know that because 120 of them tumbled out into the streets And there was people there, it says, from every nation under heaven. And they all heard these Jews and Galileans speaking to and glorifying God in their own languages. All these languages they couldn't possibly ever know. And they were speaking these languages. God had given them this gift. We call it speaking with other tongues. Theologically, it's known as glossolalia. But it's simply just another language. Other languages that God supernaturally just gives you because he gives you. Who knows why he, why he did it, but he did it. And so he gives people these languages. Paul put it this way, though I speak with the tongues of men or angels. So it could be an angelic tongue or it could be a human language. Because in this case, these people out in the street actually understood the words in which they were speaking. Now, I want to just take a moment and tell you a little story about this. Because you're going to love it. And uh, it was one of the highlight experiences of my life about this. So some years ago, I was in a pastor's meeting. We were talking about something. We decided we were going to break in, into groups, and we were going to pray. We all sat down in a big circle in a bunch of chairs. So I sat, I sat down in my chair, and I had two pastors, one on either side of me. I'll tell you who these people were. On my left side was Bob Reed, and he was a charismatic Anglican priest, spirit-filled, tongue-praying Anglican priest, Bob Reed. The reason I name these names is oftentimes... Invariably, actually, I tell these stories, and someone in the room knows these people. So, Bob Reed on this side, on my right side was a man by the name of Don Horbin, also a pastor, but he was also the director of the Ukrainian Pentecostal Bible School in Swan River, Manitoba. And so, he's sitting there, Bob's sitting here. We were praying for whatever, I don't even remember. So, we start praying, and I start praying. And Bob, next to me, the Anglican priest, he starts praying in tongues. So he's praying away. Now, he wasn't praying like that. That's my prayer language. He was praying in his prayer language, whatever that sounded like. He knew what it sounded like. So he's praying away like this. And Don, on my right side, he's exercised about something. He's going like this, all twitchy and exercised and looking across me and kind of doing one of these. And. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's supposed to be at Pentecostal. What's he freaking out about this guy praying in tongues about? And, uh, and so finally, Don taps me on the shoulder. And he says, get his attention. So I tap Bob on the shoulder. So, so Bob, uh, Don's already facing this way. And Bob faces this way. And I'm here. Are you following this, this illustration here? And so, so Don says to Bob, and I'm right here. Did I mention where I was? I'm right between them. Don says where did you learn to speak Ukrainian like that? And Bob goes, (laughs) he says, I'm not speaking Ukrainian. I'm speaking in tongues. But every time I speak in Ukrainian, if there's any Ukrainians in the room, they all understand every word I speak. And so he's laughing his head off and Don is incredulous and looking across and said, I can't believe it. And so, and, and I'm right there and I'm enjoying this moment. I got the best seat in the house. I told you where I was, right? And, and so, then, so, then, so then Don says this. Don says, let me tell you something. Your Ukrainian is impeccable. Your pronunciation, your intonation, your accent, it's Perfect. And Bob goes, ha, ha 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 ha. That's what everybody says. Whenever, whenever they hear me praying in tongues, they think I've got perfect Ukrainian. I don't understand a word I'm saying. And I was just so excited. Did I mention where I was? I was right here between these two these two guys. And you know, I have people all the time tell me, Well, you know, Pastor Mark, you go on about this tongue stuff. But that stuff passed away with the apostles. Really? Were you sitting between Don and Bob? Because I was. And and I saw some guy praying in tongues that came out as Ukrainian. I think that's pretty cool. That's what I think. (laughs) And I I actually have loads of stories I could tell about that and and how God does that. And God gives us these prayer languages that we we don't know. Uh, And I'll tell you in a minute why he might do that. But here's what's more important than this. The most important part of this is not... That, that, what the evidence was that they were speaking with other tongues. What's important is the essence of it. What was the purpose of it? And he told us was the purpose was. it? He said, you will receive power. power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the purpose, so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. The whole essence of this thing is so that we would be supercharged, that we would be empowered to go into our world and to make a difference because Lord knows... We're not doing very well naturally aspirated. We need supercharging. How many of you are with me on this? So in closing this message, I'm going to give you really pretty th- qu- three really kind of quick thoughts on it. And here's why we need the supercharging in the Holy Spirit. Number one is it builds us up spiritually. Number two, it allows us to pray more effectively. Number three, it causes us to pray more powerfully. So the first one is this. When we get supercharged by the Holy Spirit, when we get baptized with the Holy Spirit, what it does is it builds us up spiritually. 1 Corinthians 14.4, Paul says, when I pray in a spirit, I edify myself. What does the word edify mean? Built Built up, supercharged. He says, when I pray in the spirit, I'm being supercharged, and that's why I do it. And I've discovered... That for whatever reason this gift of tongues is, when we pray in the spirit, it does something in us. And we look at the church, the most effective church in history has always been when the church became spirit empowered. And you know, if you look around the world today, you will discover that the church, the spirit empowered, charismatic, charismatic uh, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it, is growing at four times the rate of any other church in the world. That is the type of church that is growing and taking the world. When we tell at Pie Auction, I tell these stories about revival in Ethiopia and Afghanistan and Cambodia. Places you wouldn't normally associate with the gospel. And you see them reaching... Hundreds of thousands of people. You see them planting hundreds of churches and and scads of people getting saved. And let me tell you something. Every last one of those people are doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are spirit-empowered people. You can't build a church of a thousand people under a tree with, you know, good arguments. You do it by the power of the Spirit. And that's what they're doing in Ethiopia. You know, I don't know if we really appreciate what's going on in the world. Uh, A lot of people think the biggest churches in the world are in Texas. You know, the biggest churches in the world are not Texas. Do you know where they are? Lagos, Nigeria. (laughs) Shout out to my Nigerian friends in the room. The biggest churches in the world... Are in Nigeria, where like 90% of evangelicals are spirit-empowered. They don't even question this. This isn't even a question. When they come here, uh, they, they, they like this church because it feels spirit-empowered. They say, we well, like the church. It's a little small. It's not what we're used to. It's a little, you know, tiny. Uh, we're used to something a little bigger and a little more crowded. Thinking, what? Really? Like, how bigger and how crowded? The biggest churches in the world are, are in, in, in Nigeria and Lagos. Like, here's one. This one's called Faith Temple. Uh, it's a massive building. It holds 50,000 people. Look at the number of people in that building. Look at all the people in that building. But that's not the biggest church in, in Lagos. The biggest church is Dunamis Church in Lagos. And this, they called it the Glory Dome. Check out the Glory Dome. They, they love their, their, those terms like that. Check out the inside. Are you kidding me? There's 100,000 people in that room. It's like this room on massive steroids. And, and, you know, let me tell you something. I don't know all what's going on in Nigeria, but I'll tell you something. You don't build a church like that with a good personality like I have. <laughs> you, you build a church like that by the power of the Spirit. That's how you do it. And I know what people think. Well, say, well you know, in North America, we're a little more sophisticated than that. You know, we don't really like the supernatural stuff. It kind of scares us. Really? I, I don't think there's anybody that I know that's afraid of the supernatural except for the church. Have you looked at what's on TV and in movies? It's all about demons and angels and vampires and zombies and supernatural and paranormal. It never stops. They're not afraid. They did a survey amongst young people and 25% of young people believe that the zombie apocalypse is a real thing and that it's coming. But now take it with a grain of salt because that same group of people think that 45% of politicians are already zombies. So take it with a grain of salt. So so the first thing is this. The the empowering and the uh, supercharging of the Holy Spirit builds us up spiritually. That's the first thing. The second thing is that it allows us to pray more effectively. Here's what Paul said. Romans chapter 8. He said, we do not always know how to pray as we ought. How many can identify with that? We do not know what to pray as we ought. We, most of the time, we don't know what to pray. I mean, we start in, we bumble along a little bit. We're, we're just not that good at it. And he goes on, he says, we do not know what to pray as we ought. Therefore, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. And see, what happens is when you are spirit-empowered, you don't have to rely on your mind anymore. That's the whole point of this tongues. See, see why... Why has God given you this language to pray in? Why, why has he done this? Why has He? I'll tell you why. He is bypassing that 10 pounds of ugly fat sitting on top of your head. That, you know, that brain of yours it gets so in the way. We overthink everything and we just don't, can't figure it out. So it's, Paul says, when I pray in a spirit, my mind is unfruitful. And so what happens is, somehow or another, we pray the exact and the perfect will of God even when we don't know it. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about this that's going to, I think, really illustrate this. So a number of years ago, my mom uh, went off to India on a mission trip. And uh, she'd never been to India before. She was a little apprehensive. And so she was going for three weeks. So she said, Mark, will you pray for me every day while I'm in India? You know what I said? I said, yes. Do you know what it means when your pastor tells you he will pray for you every day? Nothing nothing I'm not gonna pray for you every day (laughs) not that I don't want to I'm just gonna forget I'm gonna forget if you want me to pray for you you better get me to pray for you right now because by tomorrow I've forgotten because 25 other people have asked me to pray for them every day not gonna happen so anyway my own mom (laughs) asked me to pray for her every day I said sure because you know I'm one of those sons that says yes and doesn't do it and so and so anyway off she went (laughs) to India on her mission trip, and I literally forgot to pray for her. I have a job. I work for a living. And so so anyway, I didn't pray for her. And then one Tuesday morning, she'd already been gone about two weeks, and one Tuesday morning, I still wasn't praying for her, but I was praying. It was nine o'clock. I remember it was a Tuesday. I remember it was nine o'clock. And I started to pray, and I didn't know what to pray for as I ought that particular day, and I was just praying in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, my promise to my mother came back to me, and not only that sense of I promised to pray for her, but I promised to pray for her safety, and I had this sense of foreboding that she was somehow in danger. So I started praying for her that the Holy Spirit would protect her, and that went on for 20 minutes. And I didn't know what to pray for. I did not know where she was or what she was up to or anything, but I just prayed for 20 minutes, and after 20 minutes, the burden lifted, and I forgot all about it. So a week later, she gets back from India. First thing she says to me. She says, I am so glad you were praying for me. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thinking I prayed for her once. So at least I prayed for her, right? And I say, yeah, me too. She says, you will not believe what happened. She says, we were doing this, this crusade. Outdoor crusade. We were in a soccer stadium. There was 25,000, 30,000 people in the field. And we had a big stage. Up a wooden stage. And the evangelist was preaching to this crowd of people. And I was down Uh, on the ground in front of the stage, working the crowd and doing ministry up in the front, and that was where my job was. And what had happened is we got attacked by a local terrorist group called the SSS Samash, and they were a radical Hindu terrorist cell that had attacked us, and they had come up behind us from behind the stage, wooden stage, they were in the parking lot, and they were throwing homemade bombs at the preacher. And so they started throwing bombs at the preacher, but the bombs were going over the stage and landing in the crowd. And the first bomb landed on a woman not standing 20 feet from my mother, landed right on her head, exploded and killed her right in front of my mother. People started to scream and panic and run, but you can't move because you're in a mob of 30,000 people. And the bomb started to fall. And then the next bomb landed right at my mother's feet. And went and fizzled and did not explode. And she knew in that moment that her life had been spared because that other woman had just died. And she knew that her life had been spared. And so when she got back, she, the first thing she does is start telling this story. And she says, I knew people were praying for me. So I did pray for her once. So I asked her this question. I said, when did that happen? She said, it happened Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Do you know what time it is when it's Tuesday at 8 p.m. in Winnipeg? Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. The very moment that was happening, the Holy Spirit had led me to pray for my mother's safety. And by his grace, nothing to do with my obedience. By his grace, he spared my mother's life. That's the power yes. of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so just to wrap this up, the, the, the whole supercharging of the Holy Spirit... First of all, it builds us up spiritually. Secondly, it makes us and allows us to pray more effectively. And thirdly, it allows us to pray more powerfully. And we're going to save that for another day, but you know it's true. Because the scripture says, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If God's got more for you, how many of you wouldn't want it? Everybody say with me, Lord, supercharge me. Let's stand together. So we're not going to just run out of here. I know, you know, we're a couple minutes over what we normally would be on a service here. But this, a sermon like this demands a response. But we're going to do two things. First of all, I want to ask all of you to close your eyes, bow your heads just for a moment if you would. And the first group of people I want to talk to are those of you that have never invited Christ into your life. And so you're not sure the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that's the first step to invite Jesus into your life. And once you do that, he will come and dwell in you. And if you've never made that decision, you've never crossed the threshold where you've said yes to the work of the cross and invited Jesus to be your Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you'd like to make that decision today, I just want you to slip up your hand. Just take a moment. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. Anybody else want to join these folks? I'm not going to single you out. Okay, great. You can put your hands down. I, um, we're all going to pray together and then we're going to pray again for something else, so don't go away. So, but let's all pray for these people and with these people that raise their hand. Let's all pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross that you died for me, for my sin, and you took it away. You rose again on the third day and you forever live to be my Lord. You have come by your spirit And you dwell in me. And I today am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Jesus, that I'm on my way to heaven. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand, shall we? Once again, every eye closed, every head bowed. So you've been listening to this message. You heard me speak in tongues. You heard me tell these fantastic stories of what happens. I know that at this moment, every one of you here is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But there are many of you that have never experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He, you have never been immersed. You have never experienced that second experience. He has not come over you and empowered you to the place where he's given you this incredible prayer language and supercharged your faith. And so if that's you, you want to be supercharged today. And I know some of you have heard about this in other churches and different things and whatever. But if you want that, if you want what I talked about today, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand. There's dozens and dozens of people with their hands up. Just You're not looking around. But this is between you and Jesus at this moment. And I'm going to pray for you that you will receive the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you want that, just want you to get in on this. By raising your hand, you're saying, yes, Lord, supercharge me. And we're going to pray together. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come fill this room. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to baptize those of you with the hands up in his spirit. And then what he's going to do is he's going to give you this incredible prayer language that I talked about. And you're going to begin to pray in other, in other tongues in another language. And you're going to be empowered like you never thought was possible before. So just keep your hands up. You're extending your hand up towards heaven. And I want everybody to pray with me. And then when I say amen, here's what we're going to do. Everybody in the room is going to start praying in tongues. Everybody. Those who already do that as part of your devotional. And those who have your hands raised up because God's going to fill your mouth. And here's what's going to happen. This is the one little bit of advice I need to give you. When I say amen, you have to be willing to step out in faith and move your lips and move your tongue and breathe across your larynx. That's called speaking. You have to speak. And if you will speak, God will give you the words and he will fill your mouth. But if you don't speak, nothing will come out. And that's sort of obvious, but that's the one thing you have to do to participate. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you dwell in me by your spirit. And you made me this promise that you would send your spirit upon me and that you would baptize me and that you would fill me and that you would supercharge me. And today I receive the gift of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And today I receive the gift of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives me utterance. And today I receive the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray in the spirit. Just speak it out. If you already have a prayer language, just speak it out. Be bold. Be courageous. If you've never done this before in your life, open your mouth. Breathe across your larynx. Move your lips. Move your tongue. God's going to fill your mouth. He's going to give you that language today. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Let me hear you. I can't hear you. Let me hear you pray in tongues drown out the people who are doing it for the first time they're self-conscious so you need to make enough noise that they're not not about themselves by faith be bold by faith if you've never done this this is your, your moment this is your day this is your 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 opportunity your your visitation Holy Spirit, come and fill the, the hearts and mouths of these people. Baptize them with this amazing gift. Empower them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. I'm only going to give you 15 more seconds on this because I don't want to embarrass you more than i already am. Holy Spirit, Come. We thank you for your presence, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I I know that was really hard. Yeah, you can give the Lord a shout. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.